With that, this morning we're going to head back into a, a sermon series that I've been walking through uh, for quite a while now. We're going to look at 1 John. And this morning we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 28, through chapter 3, verse 10. And if you have one of those black Bibles, it's going to be on page 1,211. For those flipping, it's easier to start from the back uh, to get there. But let's start by reading 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 3.10. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. As some of you know, for the past seven years, our family has had the joy over the 4th of July of going to Crystal Springs Baptist Camp for family camp. And this year, I had the opportunity to be the camp pastor, which included teaching five lessons from the book of Ephesians, with the camp theme being from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, which says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And so in teaching through Ephesians just a month ago, the prevailing theme was around an identity in Christ, in once being darkness, but now being light. And the challenge in that context surrounding those verses was to put off sin and to trust in Christ and Christ alone as the key element of that identity. And so I find it interesting, as just happened to be, that this is where I was in the sermon series, leaving off from where we were before, that this message is oh so similar 
So similar, in fact, that I can't help but think that the Lord must really be needing for me to understand and ultimately proclaim through teaching and preaching the truth of having an identity in Christ and the outworking of that transformative identity, the mark of a Christian is those who are putting off the practice of sinning. And so that is what we'll be looking at this morning, the understanding of identity, challenged by sin, but secure in Christ. The concept of identity is a hot-button issue that all of creation must truly wrestle with. In our current culture, you can hear that cry with regularity. In nearly everything around us, we hear, I identify with, or I identify as. And while for most Christians, those statements get a proverbial eye roll or a laugh with whatever may finish that sentence, at the heart of that is a people wrestling with their existence. Those responses, who you identify with or who you identify as, started with the questions, who am I? What is my purpose? What is my cause? Why have I been placed where I am with who I am? And so while we shake our heads and can't believe what the responses towards identity might be in a post-Christian society, have you considered it a wonderful and beautiful reality that all of creation is seeking to know the answer that we as Christians are able to answer with confidence and assurance? Let's be real, the idea or the concept of identity is complex. And as humans, we're really good at making complex realities even more complex and confusing. Chronically overthinking, looking into and for things that may or may not even exist. Trying to discover and uncover and continually solve the puzzle of the day, whether that's real or philosophical. The reality for us as believers in Jesus Christ is that we have been reborn. We have been remade. Our identities have been transformed by admitting that we are sinners in need of a Savior and believing that it has been provided in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As it says directly in verse 9, And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. When that transformation has occurred, when the Lord has plucked us from death and placed us into life, placed from darkness into light, our identities are not something to discover or figure out, but are a firm, fixed reality established by God through Jesus Christ. The reality of a 
holy God calling a holy nation to himself to be a light to the nations. And while we know that to be true, all of us who are believers know that we're, our identity is firmly fixed in Jesus, God uses his word like that provided in front of us this morning to remind us of that identity. We ourselves can be easily distracted, pulled in by sin to find our identities in our marital status or our parenting status or our jobs or our favorite activities. Instead of being defined by the reality that I am Blaise Culleton and I'm a sinner redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. In our sin, we're quickly finding ourselves identifying first and foremost as a really good employee at Collins Aerospace. Or a husband of Samantha. Or as a father of four boys. As a baseball coach or a really average disc golf player. But the call this morning is to repent and believe in the one who has purchased your identity fully and completely with his shed blood on the cross. For us to see and know that we are truly children of God. My boss at Collins Aerospace, who retired this week and made his immediate departure down to Kissimmee, Florida, Kissimmee, Florida, always told me, Blaze, what we need to do is to help make order out of chaos. And in our context at Collins Aerospace, especially in the realm of continuous improvement and process improvement, that consists of navigating through all of the problems that can exist in our complex business to weed through all the potential problems that could crop up and exist to consider all the different solutions and ways that we could do things, all of the potential ways that we could consider making and doing things, and charting a very direct path forward. It includes getting involvement and buy-in to move forward with something new. But the important part is making sure that it relates to the real problem that exists. Again, a lot of times we can fabricate issues. We can not see the reality that's sitting right in front of us because we're clouded by our own limited perception of what's going on. And so while there is wisdom in that approach that we have to cut through what is happening and what people perceive as happening to understand the reality of a situation, and then base our solution on that reality, the full truth of that approach applied to the deepest recesses of who we are and what we believe is that as a believer of Jesus Christ, I can rely and rest on the promises and the only true reality 
that the Lord is the only one who brings order out of chaos. We have to be reminded consistently and constantly that we are the creatures and He is Creator God. We are the clay and He is the potter. We are but dust and He is the one that gives us breath and life. And when we in our human condition attempt to bring order out of chaos apart from God and the truth of who he is and as a result who we are in him, the result is more chaos and confusion. When we try to find identity by ourselves and not from God's intent and design, the result is sin. The result is a pursuit of personal pleasure and selfish ambition, sorting through what makes you happy and what brings temporary satisfaction, looking for that thing that maybe will bring you temporary peace in your life. When in reality, those things are but shadows and mirages of the complete joy and the true and lasting peace that are only found in living according to the way in which Creator God has revealed for us to live through His Word. Our identity is truly found in fully and completely trusting in the Lord and His Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so as we consider this text this morning from 1 John, my prayer, Buffalo City Church, is that we would press into and acknowledge that we are in fact sinners. That we would truly believe that there is no good in us except from Christ who lives in us. That we would constantly and consistently humble ourselves to allow the Lord to reveal our sins and for us to turn from them and repent. But also, my prayer is that we would see that we are truly a transformed people and that we will not, we cannot make a practice of sinning because our identity is firmly fixed in our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we unpack this text this morning, we shall clearly see two foundational truths of the Christian life. One, Through regeneration, your identity has been remade in Jesus Christ, a lot of which I unpacked already a little bit in the introduction. And secondly, that sin separates us from God. Since it's been a couple months since we've looked at this book of 1 John, I want us to just understand or recall the context of this letter. The Apostle John is writing to the early Gentile church, attempting to solidify and encourage those who have remained steadfast and united in their understanding of the gospel. His purpose for this letter is clear. We see in chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, I am writing these things so that you may not sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then we also see from chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things so you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. These second and third generation Christians that the Apostle John was writing to were suffering from a church split, notably due to and influenced by the heresy of docetism. Many people in their midst were attempting to believe that Jesus wasn't physically made manifest here on earth, was just a spirit, and with that, consequently supposed that an earthly Messiah is yet to come. So this letter is hammering on the foundational truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And as we get to this text this morning, as children of God, identities of those that are abiding in Jesus Christ. And so, after reminding them in the first part of this letter that the docetists couldn't be further from the truth, that the Apostle John himself had heard and seen and touched the man, Jesus Messiah, he reminds them that the scriptures are fulfilled in him and him alone. And those that do not believe in the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us are not of us. Their identities are different. And that if they deny the Son, they cannot have the Father. He begins throughout First John, to unpack those differences of someone that has been remade and reborn in Christ, those who are children of God, and those who have not, the Antichrists. And what we discussed the last time I preached from 1 John chapter 2, there was a clear warning that those who were previously with them were not of God. That they were not claiming to know Jesus Messiah. And he makes the bold claim that, in fact, they never knew him. But is encouraging those that have remained steadfast and holding on to the truth that they have a present help in hope in Jesus. So let's get into the first few verses here and look at the idea that we have an identity remade in Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. It's a very definitive statement God calls you a child of God, therefore you are. The authority of God, complete and uncompromised, said, says that if you believe in the person and work of Jesus Christ on your behalf, you are a child of God. Have you considered that truth lately? 
like the song we'll sing in closing this morning. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. That despite your fears and failures, despite what the world and the enemy tell you and what will bring you satisfaction, despite that you don't have everything together, in fact, sometimes wondering if you have anything together, that you are holy and beloved, set apart by the Lord God Most High. That you have been chosen to walk in the light and proclaim the truth of who He is and what He has done for us. The same God who spoke creation into existence, whose word holds all things together, says you are a child of God, and so you are. In the grand big world that we live in, I think in our own minds, we can easily get lost in the shuffle. Our purposes clouded by the big and great things that are being done around us. You have 10 different social media platforms and media apps telling you all that is being done around the world at all times. Honestly, I know for me it can make you feel minuscule or unimportant. But... Let us realize that God is doing great things in our midst. He is doing amazing and wonderful things right here in little old Jamestown, North Dakota. Consider for a moment. There are people sitting here in this room myself included, who not long ago were lost in utter darkness, who were going through the motions of life, but not alive, whose futures were certainly death and destruction. Have you thought about that lately? Have you considered your position before knowing Jesus Christ? We don't often consider or reflect on our old selves. But I invite you to consider that today. The reality that you are in fact a beloved child of God, rescued from the snares of sin and death, plucked from the devil's schemes and placed before God as righteous and redeemed. And while our identity and our trajectory has been completely transformed, there is still a not yet fully realized component until Christ's second and final return. We see in chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, 
We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So we've been transformed and renewed, born again and brought from life to death, yet we eagerly anticipate the full reality of the victory over sin and death in Christ's return. What a pleasure and a joy for the believer to see and know that we are not of our former selves, but have been freed to live in the identity of Jesus Christ. Yet more, there is a greater hope in what is yet to come with eternal life and the promise that we will one day see a reality where no more tears are shed, no more pain and suffering exists, and all the consequences of sin are no more. For those to who the Apostle John was writing, they had just seen a group amongst them leave. And he's attempting to clarify to them how they should know that their identity was not the same as those who remained. Those who left were not the same as those who were, le- who were left. And those who were left to who he's writing this letter, they were likely wondering, how do we know that we are holy and beloved? How do we know that we abide in him, that we are children of God? And so we see the answers to these questions. Chapter 2, verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And in chapter 3, verse 7, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. And going back to chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Someone who has been transformed, who has their identity fully rooted in the Lord, is like Jesus. A Christian, a little Christ. They are being sanctified. Growing in likeness each day towards that full and complete identity in Christ by obeying his commands. Being righteous because of his righteousness. And walking in the same way in which he walked. Giving himself up for us. If there is transformation, he's telling these people, If there is genuine faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, there will be outworking evidence. We as humans are created to act out of our belief. Or unfortunately, sometimes out of our unbelief. 
And with that, then, we have to ask the Lord to continually and constantly reveal to us the intentions of our hearts. Because if there's anything within us that begins to think that our righteousness comes from us, that is born from sins of conceit, selfish ambition, and impure motives, we must repent. There is no works that make you righteous before a holy God. It is by grace through faith so that no man may boast. And while we can be quick to point out the intentions of another, we must ask the Lord to reveal our intentions and motives. And when those are proven to be impure, to ask the Lord to remove those from us. For the Lord to heal our unbelief and to change our motives and ultimately our actions that flow from them. That idea then leads us to our second point and the focus of chapter 3 verses 4 through 10. The reality that sin is what separates us from God. So we begin to look back at the text, chapter 3 verses 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Let us consider that idea of sin. To the world, such a nasty, judgmental, incriminating idea is that of sin. So much so that in a lot of cases, the world around us is not willing to admit that sin exists, much less admit that they could in fact be sinners. When we look at sin, the failure to conform to the moral law of God in act or attitude or nature, we have to first start with admitting that our nature is sinful. That we rebel against God and have a natural bent from turning from Him, a natural bent towards turning away from Him. And if we don't admit that, what we see in the world is that it's much more comfortable in our sin nature to just sit there and wallow in our sin, to pretend or self-justify that there's no God to establish said law, or to reject sin, or to reject sin by saying, my God which is really myself, would rather pick and choose my own standards or laws to conform to. But the reality is that the rejection of 
sin and the acknowledgement that sin exists and that we are sinful is a rejection of God. We know that the rejection of God and His standards, the sin that separates us from Him, results in death. As we consider the beginning of sin from Genesis chapter 3, the first two things that Satan attacked in the garden are an attack on God's word, followed by the attack on the identity of man provided by God. In Genesis 3.1, the serpent says, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? The enemy started from the outset questioning the word of God, twisting and shifting what God said, creating a division amongst God and man. And then in Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent said to the woman, challenging the identity of man provided by God, he says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The Lord, when he established them in the garden, was providing that their identity was eternal. But that if they ate of the tree, they no longer would be. And Satan attempts to say, surely your identity is eternal, will not change if you disobey God. A creator God whose word spoke creation into existence and whose word holds all things together was true. Creator God is the only one that sets the true identity of man. And so when sin entered the world, Satan attacking God's word and man's identity provided from God's word, there became the separation from God. And thankfully, while that temporary separation between man and God exists, the Lord provided a plan and a path for redemption to bring man back to himself. The serpent's head would be crushed and sin would be extinguished. If we go back to 1 John chapter 3, verses 5, we see a preview of that reality, an understanding of that truth. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, And in him, there is no sin. The sinless Savior died so that we may have life. So that we may be freed to not make a practice of sinning. The chains are gone. As children of God, we've been set free. My Savior God has ransomed me. And it says then in verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. If there is no repentance, 
you are not believing the gospel. Admitting that you are a sinner and turning from your sin to avoid making a practice of sin, as it says in verse 4, is a requirement of following the Lord. The truth of the gospel, the glory of what Christ has done starts with, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Repentance is a sure sign of the Lord God abiding in you. And so the challenge, church, is to take sin seriously. Do you grieve your sin? Do you look to see and know the areas in which the Lord is working to transform you? To conform you more into His image and likeness? Do you look to consistently know and obey the commands of God? Or do you find yourself allowing sin to be a flippant, I don't have to worry about it because I have Jesus type of thing? Consider, again, Romans chapter 5, 18 through Romans chapter 6, verse 11, which was read earlier by John. Chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? In chapter 6, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Buffalo City Church, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, your identity has been transformed so that we may sin no more. Let us take our sin seriously and constantly and consistently run to Jesus to take it from us. You see, the world is consistently and constantly downgrading sin. You see an outright rejection that sin exists outside of what you personally think it should be. What you think is right and wrong in your own being. But we, as fellow heirs in Christ Jesus, know that the standard is provided by God and God alone. Lean into your identity in Christ and put off sin. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24 says, Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Let us, Buffalo City Church, put on that robe of righteousness that's been provided in Christ Jesus. 
So we've seen in this text that those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who abide in him, have an identity as children of God. And through that identity are freed to sin no more. In fact, we see that the mark of that identity is putting off sin. So as a quick conclusion, I think there are a couple considerations for us. A couple of which I've touched on already. But first, rejoice in being a child of God. Consider your former self. What God has brought you from in sin. Consider that the Lord God Almighty, King of heaven and earth, has chosen you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Secondly, if you're here this morning and this talk of identity in Christ seems foreign to you, I'd invite you to come chat with me. I invite you to come talk with myself or maybe someone that's around you to help you process and to consider what it means to walk in the light of life and to be reborn in Jesus Christ. There is no time like the present to know the living God, to repent and believe. Maybe you've been sitting here for months or Maybe you've even been sitting here for years. Maybe you've gone through tough times and are wrestling with things you weren't forced to wrestle with before. And you're crying out to yourself, God, are you there? I'm here to tell you he is. You're sitting here, right here, right now, because he cares and he wants you to hear the truth of who he is and what he's done for you. Don't let the moment pass you by, surrounded by the love of Christ within the body of believers that is the church, to repent and believe in what Christ has done for you. Finally, Invite us to pursue personal holiness and put off sin. Putting off sin, or not making a practice of sinning, is a difficult personal endeavor. It's messy. It requires personal time with the Lord and to consider all that he's done for you. It requires maybe not listening to what the world tells you you should spend your time on or you should spend your energy and your effort. It requires, as Jesus said, to take up your cross daily and follow me. 
consider that. Take up your cross daily. The, the world wants you, the, the enemy wants you to stay in your comfort zone. To pursue all the pleasures that you see, to fill your days with things that provide temporary happiness. But I'm here to tell you that your identity depends on being washed by the Word. By allowing the Lord to reveal to you your inward struggles and to truly lay them down at the foot of the cross. Spend time with your Savior, abiding in Him and allowing Him to abide in you. Devote yourself to prayer and the reading of His Word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Lord God, we thank you that you left us not to wallow in our own sin, but instead sent your Son so that we may have life and life abundantly. Lord God, I thank you that we are anointed by your truth. And that we can be called children of God. And can have a firm, fixed identity in Christ and Christ alone. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would help us to be a people who are quick to humbly acknowledge our sin. To repent and believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ and all that we are and all that we do. May our thoughts and our actions and our needs flow out from that belief so that your grace may abound even more. Lord God, would you help us to see the hurt and the needs of those around us? Lord God, help us to see a world desperately seeking for identity. An identity that can only be defined by and firmly fixed in the person and work of Jesus. Lord God, I pray this morning that you would convict us, Lord, to have tough discussions with you. To have tough discussions with one another. To have tough discussions with unbelievers about the seriousness of sin. May we bear with one another in love while clinging to the truth of who you are, what you've done for us, and a desire to repent of our unbelief. Lord God, I thank you that you are transforming us each day more into your likeness. May we pursue your personal holiness in prayer, in being washed by and considering constantly the word of God to which you have provided to us. We thank you and love you. 
It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.